Christchurch, New Malden, 17th of December, 2023. Carols by Candlelight. Ruth Henson speaking on Why are the angels in the Christmas story? Well, this evening we're considering the question of why the angels are in the Christmas story. But before we answer that question, let's think what would be different if they weren't there. First of all, nativity plays. Let's have a show of hands of anyone here who has ever played an angel in a nativity play. Quite a few I can see amongst the gloaming. Oh, I should say, keep your hands up if your costume involved copious amounts of tinsel. Yeah, quite a few hands still up. Okay, hands down. Here is a very out-of-focus photo of me taken with the heights of technology of the early 80s in the year I got to play the angel Gabriel in the Christchurch Junior School Nativity. Shocking lack of tinsel, I feel. (laughs) But if angels weren't involved at Christmas, the number of stars and sheep Uh, taking up the background roles in school nativities would have to seriously increase, not to mention the detrimental effect on tinsel sales. Then think of all the Christmas carols which would have to be rewritten, if not rendered completely obsolete, if angels were off the agenda. No more could choristers mangle the words of the angel Gabriel to sing of highly flavoured gravy rather than a highly favoured lady. More than half of our songs and carols this evening would need serious adaptation. And then there's Christmas trees. Hands up if you have an angel on the top of your tree. Yeah, quite a few. Um, She'd have to lose her spot, wouldn't she, if the angels hadn't been there at the first Christmas. We actually have a star to go on the top of our tree instead, Uh, but we do have very many angel decorations which would have to be relegated, some of which you can see in this photo from a couple of years ago because the tree's still in the loft. That's on my to-do list for this week. (laughs) I thought one of the children in my year one class must have a rather niche transport-themed tree as he wrote about having a ferry on the top. I asked him whether he had other vehicles on the tree too, such as trains or buses. He just looked at me incredulously. So I explained they thought, I thought that they might go with the ferry. Turns out he'd been trying to spell fairy. So actually an angel with a case of mistaken identity. And what about a vast array of artwork depicting the Christmas story? If we had to airbrush out all of the angels, there would be a lot of repainting to do. So we've established that angels are pretty integral to the ways we celebrate and commemorate Christmas. But why is it important and significant that they are included in the story? Let's quickly make sure that we are clear about what angels actually are. Angels are spiritual beings created by God to do his work and to serve believers. The word angel comes from the Greek word angelos, meaning messenger. And angels in the Bible are heralds and messengers, bringing news and announcements. They are also invariably to be found praising God. And we are told that their inherent nature 
is to offer praise and worship. And although the majority of those who put their hand up at the start of my talk to say they had played an angel in a nativity were female, the angels in the Bible are more likely to be portrayed as male, powerful and mighty warriors, sometimes appearing in the form of an army with not a glimpse of tinsel in sight. So why are these warrior-like worshipping messengers included and indeed needed in the Christmas story? We'll use three words beginning with I to help us think this through. Important, inspiring and inclusive. Firstly, important. Angels are present at various times throughout the story of the Bible, but perhaps not as often as we think. That's because they tend to appear at key moments with crucial tasks to carry out and vital messages to deliver. Throughout the Bible, angels are present as heralds to usher in a new stage in God's covenant plan, a new development in heaven breaking in on earth as the curtain is drawn back and we see a glimpse of the heavenly reality. And if their appearances point to something significant happening, then what could be more important than the miracle of Jesus' birth? The arrival as a tiny, vulnerable baby of the King of Kings, the coming of God's kingdom. I love this quote I read from a Christian blogger with an amazing name, Susie Silk. We are sometimes tempted to treat the Christmas story like a picture book for toddlers, filled with clean animals, sweet angels, and soft starlit lighting. But though Christmas is good news for children, it's not a sentimental greeting card. No, the Christmas story is about all of human and heavenly history being joined in a climactic moment. On a quiet night in Bethlehem, heaven comes to earth, the miraculous meets the mundane, and the holy breaks into the hopelessness of our broken world. An angel appeared to Mary to announce that she would be the mother of the Christ. An angel appeared to Joseph to announce that Mary's baby was from the Holy Spirit. And an angel appeared to the shepherds, shortly followed by a whole host of angels, to announce the birth of the Saviour. The birth announcements which the angels proclaim are modelled on the birth announcements of the Caesars, the Roman emperors. These angelic heralds who have come from the very presence of God in heaven are the ones who oftentimes can teach us most in the Christmas story about the eternal significance of Jesus as compared with the transitory importance of the emperor and others in authority. As well as being hugely important, the presence of the angels is also inspiring. The messages and proclamations of the angels are pretty inspirational in themselves. In Luke 1, the angel Gabriel declares to Mary that the son she will give birth to will sit on David's throne, reigning over an eternal kingdom. In Matthew 1, the angel speaks into Joseph's dream the fact that Jesus will save his people from their sins and will be the promised Emmanuel, God with us. 
And in Luke 2, the angel that appears to the shepherds speaks of good news of great joy because the promised Messiah has been born, who will be their saviour. The choir of angels who then appear fill the skies with their praises, giving glory to God and singing of the peace on earth which this birth signifies. But I think their words should inspire us in three particular ways this Christmas. These readings and verses which we hear so frequently at this time of year can be so familiar to so many of us that they are like a warm comfort blanket. There is certainly a time and place for scripture to provide that warmth and reassurance. But I think we should also be allowing the angels and their words to inspire us to dig afresh into these verses for new things which God wants to teach us. These heavenly messengers are quoting from and referring heavily to the prophecies of the Old Testament. So why not spend some time reading the passages they are quoting from and seeing how the whole story of the Bible fits together. And I think the angels are also inspiring us to follow their example of praise and worship. I said earlier that this is an inherent characteristic within them, their default setting, if you will. But it isn't always our default setting, is it? We can probably muster an hour of praise and worship at church on a Sunday, and a carol service like this one can give a boost to our praise and worship gauge. But the busyness of life, perhaps especially at this most special and significant time of the year, can relegate our capacity for praise and worship to the peripheries rather than being a central and vital tenet of who we are. And then there's a phrase which is common to nearly every appearance of the angels throughout that first Christmas, the command to fear not or do not be afraid. Readers have often assumed that these commands are to calm down those who have been freaked out by the sudden appearance of a heavenly being, especially if we remember the fact of them being mighty warriors rather than sparkly and tinselly cherubs. I'm sure there is an element of that, but it also goes deeper. Take Mary, for example. In Luke 1, we read that she was greatly troubled by the angel's words, rather than its appearance. Her fear could have stopped her from fulfilling this most remarkable of roles as the mother of the Christ child. Fear could have prevented Joseph from taking on the position of Jesus's earthly guardian, Fear could have robbed the shepherds of the opportunity to worship at the crib of their Messiah. What is fear holding me back from doing? Holding you back from doing? Here is another photo from that same nativity play from the early 80s when I played the angel Gabriel. If you're a long-standing member of Christchurch, you could try to spot Luke Spencer, Colin Pincott, Stuart Avis, Paul Twight and Jonathan Pryor, who were all in my year at Elm Road. I'll show you the photo in more detail later if you want to try and spot them. But you should also be able to spot some big squares with numbers on, on the right-hand side. This was a giant advent calendar, 
and my character, Gabriel, had to repeatedly appear out of a window higher than the ones displayed in the photo. In order to do this, I had to climb up a huge stepladder and stand on the top and then somehow managed to deliver my lines without the terror I was feeling being evident in my voice. Comforting and encouraging staff members repeatedly tried to convince me not to be afraid. I know I was still terrified, and I am still terrible with stepladders to this day, perhaps due to being scarred by the experience. But I found the courage and determination not to miss out on my starring role and climb to the top of the ladder as many times as was needed throughout the show. How easily fear can stop us experiencing the plans and opportunities God has for us. I have many times before referenced a brilliant quote from a year three pupil in an RS lesson on Abraham, but it's worth repeating again tonight. He said, it's like we have a space inside us filled with a mixture of faith and fear. The more fear we have, the less room there is for faith. But the more faith we have, the less room we have for fear. And then finally, and briefly, our third word is inclusive. If you were writing the script of the first Christmas, you might have sent these heavenly messengers to a different selection of people. Would it have been a young, unmarried teenage girl who would have heard she would bear the Christ child? Would lowly shepherds have been the ones chosen to be the newborn king's first visitors? Perhaps you would rather have sent the angels to meet the Magi. But the words of the angel to the shepherds explain why we shouldn't be surprised by this inclusivity. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This good news is available for everyone. Inspired by the angels and understanding the importance of their message, it is now our role and responsibility to extend that inclusivity to our community here in New Malden and amongst our families, friends and colleagues. We need to play our part in removing the barriers which stop people from listening to the good news and experiencing the joy and peace available to all. We need to step out of our cliques and comfort zones in warmth and welcome. We need to put fear aside and bring glory to God as we share his love, light and hope widely and indiscriminately. Next time you see an angel on your tree, or a tinsel-clad angel in a nativity play, or sing of the angels in a carol, or spot an angel on a card or in a painting, let's thank God for the vital role the angels played that first Christmas and seek to follow in their footsteps, inspired to share their important message with one and all. Happy Christmas. <laughs>